When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's get on with I'm Piers Morgan. Uncensored British tonight, yes. the stunning arrogance and hypocrisy of cancel culture. There's public backlash to a trans marathon runner and an attack on the late Barry Humphreys, so the woke worm may finally be turning. We'll debate. Now the presidential candidate is on Uncensored, Robert Kennedy Jr. Yes, one of the Kennedys, known as the black sheep, perhaps, of America's most famous political dynasty. But could he put a serious dent? in Biden's bid for re-election. His poll numbers are surging, and he joins me live. And a final thought on a cultural icon and a great friend of mine, legendary talk show host Jerry Springer, who was on America's Got Talent with me and Sharon Osborne will be on the show tonight. And we're going to pay tribute to the late, great Jerry Springer. Live from the news building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. It's impossible to read a newspaper, turn on the TV or browse any social media without running headfirst into a wall of virtue-signaling babble. It's engineered to make you feel like a terrible person at the hands of a condescending mob policing their own private rulebook on integrity and ethics. And most of them are stinking hypocrites. Take the late, great Barry Humphreys. The Melbourne International Comedy Festival in his native Australia has announced it will arrange a fitting tribute to a man they now call a comic genius. OK, so far, so good. He was. But then you remember that a few years ago, the very same organisation publicly disowned him. Barry Humphreys had had the temerity to say he was worried about the way gender ideology was now being pushed on young kids in schools. So the festival's director, Susan Provan, who this week hailed Barry Humphreys as an incredible artist, led the original charge against him, snootily condemning his unhelpful opinions. After that, he was, of course, branded a fascist transphobe, as anyone that raises any questions about all this is immediately branded. And the festival stripped his name from the Barry Award they created in his honour. They cancelled him, and that decision hurt Barry Humphreys personally as his closest friends have attested. How couldn't it? This was his world, the comedy world, in his country. And they stripped it away from him. And now the very same people who did that to Barry Humphreys want us to forget they ever did this, forget that they chucked him under the wheels of their warped morality bus to score a few cheap points at their smug dinner parties and bag bag some validation on Twitter. Well, frankly, they can shove it. They can shove their endorsement of Barry Humphreys now that he's dead. They never uncancelled him when he was alive and they shouldn't be allowed to do it now. And then we come to this. 
Glenique here. Not your first marathon, I believe. No, this will be 17, and I'm doing the six majors. So I've just done Tokyo and New York last year, and then this year, Chicago, Berlin. 2024 will be the number six, and then that's a week before London, so a week rest, but trick girl power. Yeah, that's actually the first marathon, though, that that particular guest on the BBC had run as a woman. Of the 40,000 athletes running the London Marathon, the BBC decided to interview Glenique Frank, an apparently transgender woman who, unsurprisingly, placed ahead of 14,000 biological females in the race because Glenique ran the New York Marathon in November last year as Glen, a man. Now, all week we've been hectored about why this is progressive and wonderful. The rest of us who question this are wicked bigots and transphobes are suggesting there might be a fairness issue here with somebody who has run as a male through to their 50s, including only a few weeks ago in New York, and is now identifying as female and demolishing a lot of the field. Well, now the runner in question has apologised. Glenique, Glenn, Glenique has offered to hand back their medal and said they will run in the male category in future as Glenn, so no longer Glenique. And so the mob has, of course, dispersed. The facts don't fit their agenda anymore, and nothing better spells out, doesn't it, the intransigence of this culture than the transgender swimmer in America, Leah Thomas, who, far from being cowed by the perfectly justified criticism from fair-minded people who think it's just plainly wrong that a six-foot-four-inch biological male who was unsuccessful competing against men in swimming competitions is now demolishing biological females after identifying as a woman. Well, not only apparently are we all wrong for questioning that, says Leah Thomas, but we're also, all of us, male and female, bad feminists. You can't really have that, that sort of half support where you're like, oh, I respect her as a woman here, but not here. They're using the guise uh, of feminism to sort of push transphobic uh, beliefs. And I think a lot of people in that camp sort of carry an implicit bias against trans people, but don't want to, I guess, fully manifest or, or speak that out. And so they try to just play it off as this sort of half support. Hmm, wonder you could be thinking about is sort of half in, half out. As my friend Martina Rattelova, a legendary, legendary gay feminist sportswoman, put it, stop explaining feminism to feminists. But, of course, Leah Thomas won't care. Leah Thomas is winning races that she would not be winning if she was still competing as a man, making a ton of money, appearing on all the top media, all the magazine covers. There's a lot of money being made in this area right now. And they don't think they're right. They know they're right. We're the ones that are wrong. And if we dare raise a scintilla of an issue about any of this, we are transphobic. We're the bad guys and gals. And they attack like a swarm of locusts, don't they, on social media for a fleeting moment of self-righteous thrill because, as they're so fond of telling us, they are on the right side of history. Until it's with Barry Humphreys, it turns out actually they're not that actually they were on the wrong side of history after all, and they just want us to pretend we never knew. Well, I'm joined now by the British Olympic marathon runner, Mara Yamauchi, and by rapper and podcast host Zubi. Great to see you here, Zubi, who once took part in a weightlifting competition four years ago as a woman to kind of prove a point. And guess what? 
he won. And by Talk TV contributor Paula Rohn, Adrian, who will still be attempting to defend the indefensible on this issue. Well, Glenique Frank, uh, just to be clear, or Glenn Frank, whichever uh, Glenn or Glenique is identifying as this week, was invited to appear but pulled out this morning. And like I say, uh, Glenique or Glenn, again, we don't know because Glenique's going back to being Glenn in future races and has always run as Glenn before, um, did, did say it was wrong. Uh, but you are asked when you enter the London Marathon which category do you want to run in, male or female or non-binary. It's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous, as I keep saying. But there are still people who think this is perfectly fair and equal and we should all just stop making such a fuss about it. So let's have a little chat about this. Uh, well, Zuby, let me start with you because you've come all the way in here. Great to see you in London. I love the fact that you tested all this four years ago and you did it to raise the problem as an issue. And, of course, you demolished all the females that you were up against because physically, as a biological male, you're simply more powerful. But you exposed the futility, if you like, and unfairness and inequality of self-identity if it becomes limitless like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been talking for more than five years at this point, but especially the past four publicly about the absurdity of the issue. And that's why back in February 2019, I had that tweet I put out there with a video of me breaking the British women's deadlift record while claiming I identified as a woman. You literally broke the women's record. Yeah. It I mean so to be clear, it wasn't in a sanctioned competition, but it was from one of my training sessions just showing how easily I could lift a weight that's Well, we're looking at it now. Kilos. This is you as a woman. Yeah, it wasn't right. exactly difficult. Lifting about 17 Paul Arone Adrian, <laughs> I would imagine. And I know you like a bit of weightlifting, Paula, so why don't I you know. try and lift a bit of that later in your gym? We'll see how you get on. Later. Here's yeah. a spoiler alert. You won't be able to. <laughs> um, not because you're not a very strong lady and not because you're not a very committed athlete in your own but right. because of the biological differences. Now, do you get it? Is the penny it. dropping? So I get it, but what I wonder is whether you get it, Piers. What, what am I missing? What, what I wonder is why it is you're struggling with the fact that some people are different. I don't. And, and the people who have decided that they are different yeah. and who want to live a different life, yeah. some of them have the capacity to do that medically and legally, mm -hmm. and they should be permitted totally to do that. Totally respect that. Always have done, always supported so trans where... people's rights to fairness and equality. Okay, so right, to, right to the comes... point, it clearly erodes women's rights. That's my only concern about it. So where the absurdity comes, I worry, is where we've got this example of the marathon runner. Mm. And this was a fun run. It's the marathon. It's, it's not a fun a run. Great it's not a fun run. It's a great example. No, no, no. Example Tens of thousands of, of people London raise a ton of money absolutely. and it's a serious competitive race. It's a great example of people getting the opportunity to push themselves, mm. not only personally, but also in terms of their charitable mm. charities. And this is a person who did that. And they are now no, so, so somebody, fearful, this so person. They're entered... so fearful. They've had to apologise. They've had to offer to hand back their medal. Well, they weren't Why? that fearful because Glenn entered as Glenn Eek and Glenn Eek finished a lot further in the race in the women's field than Glenn would have done in the men's field. And how relevant is that to you, Piers? Actually, to everyone how, I how know, to everybody I you? know that races in the London Marathon, every position 
count. They all it want to improve their the time. Olympics. They it all... wasn't a gold medal in actually, the Olympics. Actually, the ones... This was the front about runners in the London Olympics. It was about taking part. So you think it's meaningless, the London Marathon? No, absolutely it's not. It's actually taken... I've, I've competed it's actually one in the, the London more... Marathon. Right. And I see... And people running past me, I see people running past me of all different sizes, shapes, uh, running for all different types of causes. And that's what it's all about. It's inclusivity. All right, but it's let me bring in an actual Olympian rather than somebody who sounds like she thinks she ought to be one. Uh, Mara, you've been listening very patiently uh, to all this. You've been a, a proper yeah. athlete here. Just try and explain to me, or to Paula, really, why this is so unfair. So males and females have... Uh, there's a massive difference in our physical abilities. In upper body strength, like in Zuby's uh, bench press and deadlift uh, women's world records, you know, there's a massive, massive difference. In running, it's about 10%. Therefore, we must have sex-based categories, male and female. Otherwise, females would be entirely absent from sport. And to answer Paula's point about it being a fun run... Yes, a lot of people in, enjoy it and do great things like raising money, but Glenn could have done that in the men's category and not caused unfairness for the 20,000-odd females who ran in the, in the mass race. I have to also clarify that Glenn ran as Glenn in the Tokyo Marathon last month, but also in the women's category, as he did in London. And, you know, you can say, well, the mass race is just a bit of fun, the mass race at the London Marathon, but... An event like that is either a sports competition or it isn't. If you're going to say it's just a fun run, then why do they have a measured course? Why do they have timing equipment and a referee to enforce the rules? You know, even if people enjoy themselves and, and, earn, and raise money for charity, it still is a, competi a competition, rules matter, and people have to respect the rules. And Glenn on, on GB News gave an interview last night. It was clear he had no idea what the rules are. He was talking about uh, surgery and passports, but the rules, British athletics rules, which apply to the London Marathon, required testosterone suppression to under five nanomoles for 12 months to become eligible mm. and then continue suppression to remain eligible. He was talking about hormone therapy in the future tense, so it's clear he's done no testosterone suppression at all. He wasn't eligible for the female category. And therefore, my view is he should be disqualified because he, he hasn't... He's just not... He's not eligible. Well, no question. Um, There's no question of that. I mean, what's interesting to me, two things about, about you in particular. One, your courage in speaking out about this because you were, of course, immediately bombarded with insults and abuse and threats, called a transphobe, a yeah. turf, their favourite phrase, for stating yeah. what are simple biological facts. But also, you are, by your own admission, you're slightly left-leaning. You're not on the right. You're not trying to score some political point against the left. Yeah. And like a lot of people, I mean, I, you yeah. know, I've always probably politically been slightly left to centre, maybe centre. I'm really a journalist. I don't really care about an ideology either way, to be honest with you. But um, I'm certainly not on the right. But like a lot of people, like you, like me, like Bill Maher interviewed last week in America, we find ourselves completely bemused that people so-called liberals... Yep on this ultra-woke side now of the, of the spectrum, have lost their minds. Yeah. I mean, I've been a centre-left voter all my life, but for me, this isn't about left or right. For me, this is about the rights to safety, dignity, privacy, and in sport, fair competition and safety for 51% of the population. And people say, oh, Glenique only finished 6,100 and something, you know, get a life. 
but nearly 14,000 women suffered a worse finish position. Yeah. What I would say to people who say that is, OK, how many women do you think it's OK to suffer to indulge the feelings of one male competing in the female well, what category? About, okay, but know, what give a, us a number. Yeah, I totally agree. And what about... I mean, I said to Paula, what about Laurel Hubbard, the New Zealand weightlifter, who qualified uh, for the first Olympics uh, a couple of years ago, having set records in the women's field, but she took the place of a woman weightlifter. The average age for the weightlifters in that competition was about half Laurel Hubbard's age. She'd been very unsuccessful as a male weightlifter by comparison, but she deprived a biological female of an Olympic place in that team. That, to me, is completely wrong. Now, someone said to me on TV in America last week, a female congresswoman, well, what would you do about it then? I went, well, fine, I want trans athletes to be able to compete fairly and to be able to compete. So they either compete against their biological sex, which seems to me physically fair, or they have a completely new category of transport. Why not? So there's, there's, there's two things here. Just getting back to the marathon. If, if, if Glenique wasn't eligible, then there's no discussion here. Mm. Because absolutely, if, if she wasn't eligible, then she wasn't eligible. What I'm talking about in terms of the marathon is, uh, when I ran the marathon, I was running with men, and women, uh, young people, old people, mm. all running together. And what I'm saying is, is this fear that the headlines around this is bringing up. It's bringing up a fear. It's making very vulnerable people, and we know that they're very vulnerable because mm. we're told by the stats that they are the most likely group of people to commit suicide. So this is not just about a fun run. Mm. This is not just about women who require vulnerable spaces. This is not what we're but, talking okay, about. OK, but Zuby, yeah. I would say to that that, the, of course, I'm very aware of the issues that trans people have had and continue to have, but I think people like Leah Thomas, people like uh, Glenique here, they cause massive, bigger problems for the trans community. They make the whole thing look like a mockery. Yeah. They make a mockery of being trans. Yeah. And when you put your hand up as a six foot four inch biological man and say, I am now competing against women in a swimming pool, no trans person who doesn't want that attention is doing anything other than saying, This is making my life hell. Why are you doing this? Yeah, you're absolutely right in that the so called activists are harming the group that they're claiming to advocate for, as well as harming 51% of the, of the whole human population. Because let's be real, all of this stuff. All the negative downstream impacts are on girls and women. They are not on boys and men at all. I'd say this whole thing is incredibly misogynistic, and I don't like to throw that word around too much. To take the conversation up a level as well, I have a question, and the whole thing is, why are we trying to force people, and why are so many people entertaining the denial of reality itself? Yeah. Women's rights are incredibly important. Fairness in sports is important. Safety and security and privacy, all of these things are very important. The fundamental problem at the root of this is everyone dancing around pretending that a man can truly be a woman and a woman can truly be a man. This is not me being transphobic or hateful or being a bigot, anything like that. It's simply that reality exists. Biology is real. And is that reality a legal one? Because in this country, reality, it is. Reality, it is a legal reality, Zuby, that you can change your gender. You cannot change your biological sex. It's physically impossible. I'm, I'm saying to you, it is impossible it's a legal to reality it is that you can. Can you, so can you change your can, biological we can, sex? We can talk about biology, okay. and we can talk about the legality we're, we're talk, of we're, it. We're, we're talking about biology, though. We're talk, this thing is about sport. This is about males and females. Well, the problem when we talk about biology is, okay. neither of us are scientists, but you, you don't and need I, to be a scientist to know male and woman. 
I both know that it's a lot more complicated what's, than that. What's the complication? It's not as simple as, for me, it's very can I, simple. Can I be can And I for become, you, it may okay. be very simple. But we are, I think we're being, can I you, think we're indulging you, an ignorance can you become, by not suggesting can you become, that there's more male? to it than that. Can you become male? I don't want to be But can male. you become male? Is, it, is there anything that could be done that could turn you into a male in the way that I'm male and Piers is male? Is that, is ah, that possible? See, now, do you see how you've qualified your question? So you first can you, asked me, can, can, you, I, can, can I, you become, can a, I be can can you I become a, male? a male? And I would okay, suggest probably yes, in terms of How? medically. But then, then you said, then you said, then you said, like you and Piers. Because, well, right. And that's where we start to get complicated. Paula, I hope okay. we would have taken you a little further down your journey. <laughs> I fear when you, say, kindness, when you say you kindness. think you can become male, yeah. you can't, because male is a well, sex. I can, have, I, can have a gen, I can have gender recognition, right. can't I? I can Listen. legally become a male. We've got to leave it there, but you can't actually become a biological male. And nor can I, I, nor can I, I would need to nor can I, you'll be relieved that. to hear, become a biological female. <laughs> because I'm quite tempted right now to start entering the cricket competition, <laughs> right, and smashing female biological bowlers all over the place and feeling good about myself. Only I wouldn't. I feel ashamed. I think, I think I, it's embarrassing. I think you're uh, pumping above your weight there. Well, you uh, wait till female Usain cricketers, Bolt... Wait till female uh, cricketers. As I, I say, wait till Usain is. Bolt goes, I'm identifying as a woman oh, and runs you. in the 100-metre final <laughs> at the Olympics. And you all go, well done, well done, Usain <laughs> <laughs> well done, you Saini. It's a joke. Uh, anyway, Paula, lovely to see you. Thank uh, you. Mara, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's going to be great to have you appreciate here it. in London. Really appreciate you coming in too. Uh, and go follow this guy on Twitter. He just passed a million followers on Twitter. So only seven and a half million to catch me. <laughs> uh, which I know he's keen to do. Uncensored Next, tributes to a true legend. The original king of talk television, a great guy, a great friend of mine, Jerry Springer, who sadly died today at age 79. What a life. And what a guy. We'll talk live to Sharon Osbourne, who worked with me and Jerry on America's Got Talent, and to still Steve Wilkos, of course, his great colleague from his show, which became The Springer Show, one of the biggest shows on the entire planet. That's after the break. Welcome back. Jerry Springer was the undisputed king of the talk show. Smart, intelligent, a TV icon. He was also a politician, a lawyer, an actor. He could do it all. I spent nearly every day for two years with him on the set of America's Got Talent. We stayed in the same hotel at Beverly Wilshire in Los Angeles. We used to sit by the pool talking about politics. We'd have dinner talking about politics. He loved arguing about politics. He'd been a mayor before he ever became a TV star. And he was most definitely uncensored. Jerry has what? more ass than you do. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show. Thank you and welcome to America's Got Talent. We have daddy issues, so we'd like to get our dairy beef. I care about people. I care about people who watch television. And on that note, take care of yourself and each other. Well, today, Jerry's family said Jerry's ability to connect with people was at the heart of his success in everything he tried, whether that was politics, broadcasting, or just joking with people on the street who wanted a photo or a word. He's irreplaceable, and his loss hurts immensely, but memories of his intellect, his heart, and his humour will live on. 
And he brought his usual warmth and energy to regular guests on all my shows that I did ever since we did that talent show together. Do you think Matthew McConaughey and this extraordinary speech could actually affect change? Certainly it'll have some impact. But the fact is, the American people are virtually all or pretty close to all in agreement on the major idea of some kind of gun control. What can Trump do to try and persuade you now that he's a unifier and not a destroyer? Well, just personally, I, I would... I will do everything I can to see that he becomes a successful president. I think I may stop because there are other things I want to do. I want to spend more time with Richard, my grandson, and follow him in baseball and basketball and do things like that. So it's more that decision more than a medical decision. Jerry could talk about anything, and he could talk about it for hours, and he was always entertaining, always funny, and always razor smart, always knew exactly what was going on. He was also a great friend, and I'll give you just two little examples of that. One, uh, he was doing, I think it was Richard and Judy a few years ago with Amanda Holden, who was doing Britain's Got Talent with me. And Amanda put me on the phone to him. I said, Jerry, what are you doing tonight? He said, nothing. I said, do you want to come to my middle son's school? They're doing Sound of Music and Amanda's host and uh, me and Michael Gray, who's a big media mogul in Britain, we're dressing up as nuns and we need a Catholic priest to dress up as a Catholic priest. He went, I'm Jewish. I went, I know you are. He said... My rabbi would be fine with it. And he came down and he went on stage as a Catholic priest with me as a nun. And we sang Sound of Music songs. And then a little later after that, I have an annual cricket match against my little village down in East Sussex. And I said, Jerry, what are you doing on Sunday? He went, nothing. I went, fancy a game of cricket? He went, I'd love one. And he came all the way down to the south coast of England and we played cricket. And the villagers absolutely loved him. And in fact, on our village WhatsApp chat today, a lot of sadness because they all remembered how down-to-earth this TV legend was. Everyone knew Jerry Springer. So that was the real guy away from TV. There were no flies on Jerry. He, what you saw was what you got. And it, he was one of the great guys. Well, joining me on the phone now is my fellow Talk TV presenter and my fellow former America's Got Talent judge, Sharon Osbourne, and the former director of security, of course, on the Jerry Springer show, turned talk show host himself now, Steve Wilkos. Uh, well, Sharon, let me start with you. Um, you know, Jerry, we worked with him, didn't we? Hand in glove, really, for two years. It's very intense on most shows. You get to know each other really, really well. I remember, and I'm sure you do, the time we all first met each other was a dinner thrown oh, by NBC where you lost I your rag. I knew you were going to start. Go well, on. Let's start where we mean to go on, because it was so fitting, because we'd all had this quiet dinner, and then you lost your rag with me and began to actually physically throttle me. And at that point, Jerry got up and said, this reminds me of one of my shows, and led you away. <laughs> he did. He took me outside and he said, take some breath. Now I want you to go home and think about this. And I said, yes, Jerry. And um, he was just amazing with me. He, I mean, listen, in our religion, we call him a mensch, and that's what he is. I mean, just a fantastic human being. He, I loved the way he always ended his show on a, on a great speech, you know, m morally. It was always a takeaway mm. from his show. So it wasn't just, you know, people going crazy at each other, throwing things and whatever. There was a, always a good moral at the end of his show. And you know what? I, I uh, just, sorry, Sharon, go on. So, no, I'm just saying that he will be missed. He was a pioneer on daytime TV. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he used to say, he used to joke, it's the worst show in the world, but it was also one of the most popular and one of the most lucrative, made him extremely rich. But he always had a great warmth and was very protective towards all the people that came on. And let me go to, to yeah. Steve. Let me go to Steve now. Um, Steve, I'm so sorry for your loss because you were so closely aligned with Jerry for so long and you made a very moving statement today. How, how are you doing today since you heard the news? It's tough. Um, I love Jerry and uh, one of my closest friends and, you know, I still uh, can't believe that I'm never going to talk with him again. You know, he used to talk jokingly about the show, but obviously it became this complete phenomenon. Um, what did you make of the of why it was so popular? How much of that was the guess? How much of that was Jerry? Was it just the, the combination, really? Yeah, I think it was just a crazy point in time. And, you know, when I watched the opening of your show today and you were talking about cancer culture, I wonder how far we would have got today yeah. in the landscape of today with that show. Yeah. Um, listen, I, you know, I think Jerry was just a, a natural draw. People are drawn to him. He's very kind. Uh, people love Jerry. I mean, loved him. And, uh, you know, the craziness on the show, we were, we were doing stories and, and things that, you know, you couldn't see anywhere else on TV at the time. Uh, so I think it was a confluence of things. And the show just took off like a rocket. And I, I've been saying, you're probably never going to see anything like that again, because, you know, when we, the show was so popular, it wasn't internet, there wasn't streaming. You know, nowadays, if something's big and huge, it's big and huge for five minutes. Right. And then there's something else where... Back then, you know, he was the zenith for two years. We're beating Oprah and, and everything else. Um, so to be around him, I I felt like it must have been like hanging around Elvis Presley. Or, well, well, what about this, Steve? What about this uh, anecdote I'll tell you, which was I had dinner with, with Jerry in L.A. soon after we began working together, and he told me a story that Muhammad Ali was an avid fan of the show. And I've got to be honest, I didn't know Jerry that well. I just didn't believe him. I thought it was Hollywood bullcrap, to be honest. And we walked back from Mr. Charles in Beverly Hills to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, about a five, ten-minute walk. And we get to the valet parking area to go to the back wing where we both had rooms. And a limousine pulls up. I swear this is true. I wrote about it in my diary at the time. A limousine pulls up and out gets Muhammad Ali and his wife. I've never met Muhammad Ali in my life. And as they get out of the door, she sees Jerry, uh, Muhammad's wife, and she just shouted, oh, my God, Jerry Springer. Pause. He's still watching the show. And Muhammad <laughs> Ali came over. Jerry introduced me to the greatest. And I yeah. said, I hear you love the Springer show. He went, I, I love it. I love all the fighting. And then we, we all laughed. And I said, please tell me you love America's Got Talent too. And it was kind of a little <laughs> bit less committal on that. But it just showed me... A, I could always trust Jerry Springer after that. Uh, but B, that everyone and anyone used to watch the Springer show. Yeah, not a lot of people admitted it, but uh, everybody did watch it. And, uh, you know, I met Muhammad too. And, you know, Muhammad told me he was a big fan. So I know that for a fact. But, uh, you know, you're just, to have a show that peaked so, so highly where everybody talked about it. You know, we, most young people won't, understand what we say about water cooler show yeah. everybody talked about that show and uh i i feel very fortunate to be around jerry and got to share that incredible ride with him uh just you know we were we were doing movies and you know leno and letterman and 
everything yeah. just traveling all over the world with him and yeah. uh you know to get the experience that with them and, and you couldn't do it with a nicer guy no uh, we, i was about to say yeah I was, I was about to bring sharon back for that steve um I want to show a little clip from america's got talent because we had such a laugh on that show together this is back in like 2007 8 i think but let's take a look at this well pierce the exits are here but please tell me we're not going to be hearing those buzzers tonight there's no point having them is there jerry if you can't have the fun of actually pressing them We've all got itchy fingers tonight. Oh, we'll have to God. see, have to see. <laughs> all right, but you'll be nice. I know. Well, we'll try nice. and be nice. Sha <laughs> Sharon, what do tonight's acts have to do in order to kind of impress you, impress America? Oh, my goodness. Where do we begin, Jerry? They were great days, Sharon. And the thing about Jerry Springer, oh, one, he was one of the nicest <laughs> people I've ever worked with, no question. And secondly, just the most professional. He never turned up a minute late. He, he was always did his job, whatever the hours, just remember, a great guy. Do you remember tears when he fell off the stage and yeah. he was hurt himself badly? The show went on. I mean, he just carried on, never missed a beat. And, you know, his show was like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, you it, got hooked into it. And, it, it, you know what, people, there aren't many people left in the industry like Jerry who no. was all heart, a real people person. Yeah, and what people don't know about Jerry, probably, and they'll find out when they read the obituaries, is the varied life he led before he did the Springer show. He was a news anchor uh, of a big TV news show for 10 years. He was the mayor of Cincinnati for a year. Yeah. Um, that ended in a bit of a scandal, which we won't go into. But he, he, he had this extraordinary life. And even at the end, nearly 80, there he was, still doing loads of stuff, doing podcasts, doing yeah. interviews and so on. But, but he did say in the final interview that we did with him only last month that he, he was looking forward, as he reached 80, to spend more time with his family, which was yeah, something he was he very was pleased always... to be doing. He was always doing charity events, too. I mean, he had such a big heart. Yeah. Well, it's a massive and loss. And he's irreplaceable. Yeah, he, re he really is. He was a total one-off, and we loved him, didn't we? Sharon, thank you so much for joining me from L.A. And, Steve, thank you. And my, thank my you, deepest, my, my deepest condolences to you, Steve, because you and he were intertwined for so long, and uh, I can only imagine how you're feeling today. So I'm so glad to have you on the show. It's an honour to have you, and it was an honour for all of us to work with Jerry. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. The great Jerry Springer, who died today aged 79. Well, uncensored next tonight, a conspiracy theorist, a Kennedy and a presidential contender, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., joins me live as he's surging in the polls. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Baseball Grand Sensor with Kennedy's an American political dynasty, of course. And my next guest is, will be, the fourth Kennedy to run for the US presidency. Both his father, Senator Robert F. Kennedy, and his uncle, President John F. Kennedy, were tragically assassinated. Well, Robert Kennedy Jr. has been described as the black sheep of this formidable family, including by some of his own family, with incendiary views on vaccines and a populist slant on economic policy. But he could become a genuine headache for President Biden. He surged at 19% in a new Fox News poll of Democratic candidates for nominee for to be president, and 21% in a new Emerson poll published today. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. joins me now. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Uh, I guess my first question, uh, Robert, is this. These, these polls, they're pretty striking to everybody else. Are you surprised about how well you're doing? Um, I Am I surprised? I... You know, we've been looking at the polls for about a year, and they're, you know, it's pretty consistent. So I'm not that surprised. I'm happy. You obviously come um, from the most famous political family, arguably, in the world. And I want to take you back, because I think for our wider global audience, it's just an extraordinary part of your story, obviously, that you were just nine years old when your uncle, John F. Kennedy, was president, was assassinated. You were 14 when your father, who was tipped to be, and I'm sure he would have been, one of the great presidents if he'd lived, uh, you were 14 when your father died. You had to be one of the pallbearers there. These are huge things to happen to any child of that age. But to do it when both your uncle and your father were so globally famous and to have their deaths so widely reported, what impact do you think that had on you? And what impact has it had on you now as a politician, now running for president? Well, I think it had an impact on the world. I think my father and uncle were uh, fighting against the, this emergence of a military-industrial complex, and their deaths really marked a fork in the road for our country and for the rest of the world, where we started down this road towards uh, corporatism, which I what I call the the uh, the merger, this corrupt merger of state and corporate power that is driven by large industries like pharmaceutical, oil and coal industries, the pesticide industries. Um, but uh, the spear tip, of course, is what Eisenhower warned us about uh, four days before my uncle took office, which was the rise of the military-industrial complex, which has turned America into a warfare state uh, at abroad and a surveillance state at home and which has gutted the middle class in this country. We spent 
$8 trillion on wars since the war in Iraq, and we've got nothing in return. Literally, actually worse than nothing. We've undermined uh, our own position in the world. We've destabilized the Mideast. We've driven 2 million refugees into Europe, where they have destabilized democracy all over Europe and probably account for Brexit, the success of Brexit. And at home, you know, we've hollowed out the middle class. And then you add another $16 trillion that we spent on COVID and again on the lockdowns and got nothing in return for that. And you have a $24 trillion bill that is paid by the American middle class and the United States is printing money, uh, you know, like we're, we're borrowing $6 billion a day from the Chinese and Japanese to pay that, the interest on those debts. And it's no wonder we don't have a middle class left in America. And when you have a configuration now where it's increasingly looked like these large concentrations of wealth among the, you know, the growing oligarchy of billionaires and then widespread poverty below, you cannot have democracy for very long. Well, listen, there's, there's no, there's no doubt, it, just to jump in, there's no doubt that your message is resonating with a lot of people. I mean, I think if you're Joe Biden, you just announced you're running again for president and you see that your nearest competitor suddenly is you at 21% in these polls, and you know that a lot of Democrats don't want you to run again. A lot of Democrats think Joe Biden is simply too old. I mean, could the unthinkable happen? Do you genuinely think you could actually prevent Joe Biden becoming the nominee? Well, my, my objective, Pierce, is not to prevent him from becoming the nominee. My objective is to make myself the nominee. And do I think that's possible? Yeah. And I'll tell you, my wife, if, if I had not been able to persuade her that it was possible, would not be, uh, would not be going along with this enterprise. It would be a startling thing. There are two, there are two question marks about you. I mean, a lot, a lot of people give you great credit for a lifetime of work with the environment, for example, with poverty. You've done a lot of great things. There are two contentious things from my perspective. Uh, and I'll come to the vaccine part in a minute because that's been a 15-year mission by you, which I want to discuss. But one thing in particular I'm surprised about, you, you are a Democrat and you come from a family of great Democrats. And yet, for some reason, you've gone along with this Donald Trump line about stolen elections and so on. Why? I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't. Uh, I mean, you've associated I, I, yourself with people. Out on the... Well, you've been seen on podiums with people who are completely intransigent. And, you know, they think that what that, that Donald Trump had the election stolen, that January sixth was justified, and so on. Why would you? Yeah, why would you I, be I around have, people like that? Piers. Piers. Well, if you're asking me another question, because what you're saying about me complaining about a stolen election. I complained about a stolen election in 2001, and I won a, I wrote an award-winning article about the theft of the 2004 election, but I have not spoken out about this election. I don't believe it was stolen, about Trump's election. No, no, I'm talking, yeah. Or, I, 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 or, I think know, I'm talking about the, I'm talking about the but, wider... But you're asking me... Yeah, I'm, I, let me rephrase the question. I'm actually comparing, comparing... I just don't think it's healthy for any democracy whether you're talking about the one that you claim was stolen, the one that Trump does, that people talk about elections being stolen in a democracy like America, because it makes people disbelieve the democratic process. That's really the point I was making. 
Well, you, I, I mean, the, 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 otherwise you're manipulating people if you don't talk, tell the truth. Uh, I mean, I, the job of the press, the job of an advocate like me is to tell the truth, whether the truth is unpleasant for people or not. And, you know, I, I documented that. I mean, I don't think any Democrat believes that the 2001 election it was not, was legit. You know, that's, that was Gore, uh, Bush v. Gore. And, and the New York Times, nobody else, you know, they ultimately concluded yeah, that, yeah, it was stolen. So I don't think what I said is radical or is, you know, is causing revolution. But let me ask the other question. Let me ask the other question. Why do I appear, why do I talk to Republicans? Why do I go on Fox News? And my reason for that, I do those. I talk to people who don't agree with me, and I believe that is critical for a democracy. We have a toxic polarization in this country right now that is more dangerous than the American Civil War. If we don't talk to people who don't agree with us, how are we going to persuade them? How are we going to find common ground? How are we going to end this polarization? I have always well, talked I agree with, I agree with you on my that. opponents on the other side. I agree with you on and that. I, and by the way, I talk to them, but I do not compromise my values. Right. I believe in all the democratic values that I was raised with, but I believe that we should talk to people from okay, all sides. So, so let's just move quickly, if, if we may, just to this issue of vaccines. If you were to become president, You've been opposed to vaccines now for a long time, very heavily critical of the COVID vaccine. That's not true. Well, you're not, you're not, not, you're not, you're not, not a vaccine oh. denier, but you are a very, very sceptical, very public voice of scepticism about the efficacy of vaccines. Would that be fair? What I've said is vaccines, I'm not anti-vaccine. I think vaccines should be subject to the same level of rigorous testing as other medications. And that is the only thing, my only position. Listen, I fought to get mercury out of fish for 40 years, yeah. and nobody called me anti-fish. I'm not anti-vaccines just because I want safe vaccines. And I think everybody wants safe vaccines. And as we all now recognize, the COVID vaccines were neither safe nor effective. Well, that is, but that is, that, is that, that, but as you know, yeah, but hang, on, hang on, hang on, that is, as you know, heavily disputed by a lot of top scientists who say that comparative to other vaccines, it was very safe. Obviously, like all vaccines, it's had issues. Obviously, they had to move at the speed of light because it was a novel virus that was killing a lot of people. But it, it wasn't an unsafe vaccine. But all vaccines, unfortunately, have side effects for a certain percentage of people that take them. Well, the, uh, that, I mean, that, of course, the question appears. Uh, the side effects on this vaccine, did the vaccine number one, did they avert more problems than they cause? I would argue that the science is very clear right now that they cause a lot more problems than they averted. And if you look at the countries that did not vaccinate, they had the lowest death rates, they had the lowest COVID and infection rates. And if you look at the Johns Hopkins data, which is the data everybody relies on, there's a direct correlation between excess deaths in nations, in the Western nations, that heavily vaccinated and the level of COVID vaccination. So if you look at excess deaths, how many people, uh, how many people died that shouldn't have died at the end of the year? The vaccine cause is associated, because we don't know, we can't say cause because it's a correlation. But the big, the, 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 hot, the, the deaths, in the nations that heavily vaccinated, which were much higher than those that didn't. I, I'll give you an example. We in our country, 
we're the most, one of the most heavily vaccinated countries in the world. We also had the highest COVID death rate in the world. So we had, we have 4.2% of the global population. We have 16% of the, of the COVID deaths. That's not a success story. How can anybody point well, to that listen, and say, I, we, unfortunately, yeah, the vaccines were benefits? Listen, we've run out of time. I, I, I certainly look don't... At, look at yeah, listen, I, I've got to end it there, but we do, I definitely don't think America was a success story, and that's, a, that's for another time. We've unfortunately run out of time, Rob, but I, I do yeah. really enjoy talking to you. I think you're a fascinating candidate in, in this whole race, and the fact you're doing so well means what you're saying about a number of issues is resonating, and it'll be very interesting to see how you go. So thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thanks for having me, Piers, anytime. Well, on says the next, a person who produces sperm is now the new description of a boy or a man in America. We'll discuss that next. Well, joined by my talk TV international editor, Isabel Oakshaw, and talking to contributor Richard Tyson. Welcome to both. Thank you for being patient. Sorry we haven't got much time. Let's talk about sperm, shall we? I love <laughs> Why talking not? about sperm. So, apparently, um, have we got the phrase there for the sperm? This is absolutely unbelievable. It's Give me the phrase again. A person who produces sperm is now what a school district in America has called a boy or man. Thoughts. And, and a person who produces eggs is what they're calling a person that is otherwise what is this woman, about as a woman what, what are they and, scared of and this is aimed at by the, this is aimed at 10 year olds it's I, ridiculous i have a 10 year old they would just laugh at that and be bewildered i mean why make sex education so much more complicated but how have we got to this richard what, what how has language got to this i've no idea this sort of political correctness but the most terrifying thing, Piers, mm. it actually confuses children, it causes anxiety. My view is it's therefore damaging children, particularly with this gender ideology stuff. And in that sense, it's actually a safeguarding issue. No mm. ifs, no buts, in my view. We just shouldn't be going I've done my anti-woke manifesto for The Sun tomorrow because somebody wrote to them saying I should be minister for anti-wokery. Yeah. So I've done my 20... And it's quite easy to do a 20-point manifesto. You just basically restore common sense. Yes. I mean, you, you asked how we've got to this because parents are accepting it. Parents... Yes. That, I would take my child out of a school that was going to insist on that kind of nonsense. I agree. And the other parents should actually just rebel against it. But Don't actually, accept it. But actually, many parents weren't aware of it until... It's been highlighted on these shows, and suddenly I think parents are rebelling. People I'm talking to... I think the woke worm is turning, is. and we're helping to turn it. That's all we've got time for. I've blown it with you two tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> we only got to talk about sperm, but it was a great chat about <laughs> sperm. Thank you both very it much. Brilliant. Keep it on Good night. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program.